Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, every, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there, there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. When they told David it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul your Lord and buried him. And now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. And I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant. For Saul, your Lord, is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. But Abner, the son of Ner, commanded the, the commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years, but the house of Judah followed David. And the time of da that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Father, we pray, God, that you would use these words to glorify yourself, to teach, you, teach us who you are, to strengthen us, encourage us, to convict us, um, Father, of your glory and who you are, that, Father, with, if we are thinking wrongly of you, that, that we would be made right in our understanding of you through these words. Use it, Father, to speak the truth to us. May we walk away from here glorifying you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. So that last song... Wow, what was that? Oh, it was Mark. I'm like, wow, I got spirits moving, creating thunder and rolling. Woo! Nope, we're all just looking at, at uh, Mark. Good, you glad you're feeling better. Yes, you're you're welcome. We're welcome. Okay, so that last song before I was distracted. That last song, it, it's a reminder of, I mean, this is the God that we serve, right? He's the creator of, the, uh, of what the Bible says. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the creator of all creation. He is Lord over all things. This is the God who was there at the beginning of creation, and he created everything, and he rules over it. He is sovereign over all of it, that the God that Abraham worshiped, and Moses worshiped, and David worshiped. And all the prophets worshipped is the same God that we're worshiping right now. I mean, think that through. And we have the opportunity not just to worship Him, but to hear from Him, that He's speaking to us. Not through prophetic words like for me, but through His Word, His, His Bible that He has given us. And what an opportunity for us to sit down, to look at this, to read it, and pray that his spirit, through his spirit, that he would give us understanding of who he is. Like, think that through. We're, these are just words on a page. 
These are God's words to His people, to those of us who are saved by Him. And so um, my hope is that as we, as we look at this, as we study it, as we try to understand it, that we don't just look at it as, oh, this is, this is nice, but that we would sit and realize the God of the universe is speaking to us and He finds joy in speaking to us. Can we find joy and hearing his word, even the tough stuff, even the tough stuff. So that's my prayer for us this morning. We'll walk away from here um, because the, the hard question that we're going to ask at the end, as you see by my title, is you have to ask yourself the question, whom do you serve? Whom do we serve? Whom do I serve? And to be honest with ourselves in asking and answering that question. So, that being said, in the, in the 1640s, I almost said the 1940s, that's going to be a little awkward if I said it. In the 1640s, so 450 years ago, something like that, two civil wars were fought to determine who would lead England, Parliament or the king. King Charles I and his army believed that he had the power and authority to rule over the people, while Parliament and their army believed that the people had the power and authority to rule over themselves. Now, that's a huge generalization, okay? So we're not going to get into English history. If you want to, you can talk to Denny. He'd love to have that conversation with you, right? But in the end, Parliament won, establishing the English Commonwealth and banning the king. In fact, banning him by decapitating him. And you go, wait a second, there's still a king on the throne of England, right? And there's still parliament. What in the world happened? Well, even though parliament won, seven years later, Charles II, his son, returned to the throne, killing or desecrating the bodies of any parliamentary leader who fought against his father. See, this is a common way to win or lose political power throughout history. Somebody's got to die. And it's always, I want to say always, a lot of times it's under suspicious circumstances, right? But that's not how it is with Israel. As we will see today, and as we look through in the, in the coming weeks, a long civil war is fought in Israel between those who support David and those who support Saul. And that's how I'm going to say, because yes, Saul is dead they're still supporting his house. They're still supporting his family, his son as king. Because I don't want to say Ishbosheth a thousand times. Let's just be honest, okay? Um, and all his other sons, why they didn't, he just named him Saul Jr. It's kind of be easier for us to say, right? But there were those who supported David and his house, and there supported those who supported Saul and his house. But the strength of arms does not determine who will take the throne nor does the amount of area that the king rules over. So right now you've got King David, or in this passage, he's made King David over Judah, and then you've got King Ishbosheth over Israel. But that doesn't matter because ultimately God is the one who moves and works to establish the throne of the man that he has chosen. See, the trajectory of 1 Samuel is the rejection and slow diminishing of Saul and the acceptance and the slow increase of David. 
ultimately leading to Saul's death in battle. And as will happen with any seat of power, Saul's death creates a vacuum of sorts. Who will take the throne, David or Saul's son? But David doesn't rush selfishly into that vacuum, saying, all right, finally, now I could take the throne. Because David knows that it's the Lord who anoints the king, not David, and not Abner, Saul's commander. And we see this first through his desire to fulfill the will of God. After receiving word of and mourning over Saul and Jonathan's death, that's what it means by after this, the very first verse, after he mourns, after he laments the death of Saul and Jonathan, it's interesting to note David's first move. He doesn't ride out with his army to take power. He inquires of the Lord. He asks God to reveal his desire, the Lord's desire and will. David is fully aware that the Lord has anointed him as the next king of Israel and even expects to take the throne. But he doesn't assume that it's going to come about in the way that he desires. This isn't the first time that David has inquired of God. In fact, on three separate occasions in 1 Samuel, we're told, and that's what we're told. I'm sure he did. You can assume he probably did it more than three, but we're told of three specific um, occasions where he sought God's direction for him. What do I do next? And once he even asked a priest, priest to seek for God's will for him. And this reveals to us that he's a man who desires to fulfill the heart of God, unlike his predecessor Saul, who sought to fulfill the desires of himself or those who were around him. And so what does, what does the Lord desire? Well, he commands David, go to the city of Hebron. Hebron was a strategically important city located within the region of Judah. And militarily, it had the highest elevation of any city in Israel because we all know the high ground is important. It has an advantage of fighting a defender who's running uphill. Historically, it's where Abraham, uh, we're told he, he set up his tent there. He built an altar to God in Hebron, and it's also where he buried his wife, Sarah. So there's historical, there's religious, there's militarily, there's strategy there. there this is an important city. And in, in addition, David is of the tribe of Judah, and so his connections are already strong within that geographical area. It just makes sense to move to that city. Like David could have thought of that himself. but David desired to fulfill the will of the Lord, and so he only moves to Hebron after God says, move to Hebron. And we'll get there, but contrast that with Abner. We're not told of any time where Abner says, God, what do you want from us? David also desired to bless those who love the Lord's anointed king. And we see this in verses 5 and 6. In 1 Samuel 31, when the men of the city of Jabesh-Gilead heard that the Philistines had killed Saul and his sons, and that they have displayed their bodies on the walls of one of their cities, the men of Jabesh-Gilead 
actually went by night, recovered the bodies at risk of their own lives, and buried them. And then they fasted for seven days, mourning the loss of their king. When David hears this, he sends a message to Jabesh-Gilead, which held three purposes. It says three things. First, he spoke a blessing over them. Their love for Saul, the Lord's anointed king, is what drove them to take up the dangerous task of recovering the bodies. We're not told the specifics of this blessing, but when you read in the Old Testament and throughout the Old Testament, any blessing that is of the Lord or blessing of the Lord that's bestowed upon someone, it entails somehow God's presence, His might, His influence, His peace. It's God Himself. May God Himself be with you. It's the same kind of blessing that we pronounce at the end of every service. The Lord keep you. The Lord bless you. May His presence be with you. May He shine His face upon you. That's about God being with you. Secondly, David will do good to them, he says, because of their love for Saul, the Lord's anointed king. And unlike the Amalekite of chapter 1, the Jabeshites showed fear, honor, and respect for the one whom God appointed as king over them. Where is that going to go ahead? Can you, can you see the connection here? Third, David reveals that Judah Uh, that Judah has anointed him as their king. Again, there's this connection. There's also a political reason behind this. David's anointing by the Lord through Samuel was not private knowledge. Saul knew about it and tried to have David killed for it, even encouraging his son to do the same so that his, his right to the throne would be preserved. As we'll see in coming weeks, Abner, who makes Saul's son king over Israel, actually declares publicly to the elders the Lord's oath of transferring the kingdom of, into David's hands. That's found in chapter 3, 2 Samuel chapter 3. And even the elders of Israel eventually seek to make David their king because it was what the Lord had promised David. So everybody knew, everyone knew that David was the next anointed king. David's declaration to the Jabeshites was a clear statement that just as they were loyal to Saul, the Lord's anointed, that they should now be loyal to David, the Lord's anointed. But he doesn't do it threateningly. He doesn't do it threateningly. He's saying, as you love the Lord's anointed, now love the Lord's anointed. David's desire to bless those who love the Lord's anointed king is also evidence of his desire to take the throne of Israel peacefully. After Saul's death, Abner, Saul's army commander, and this is what it says in verses 8 and 9, I'll reread it, took, only because I want to say all these wonderful names, he took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim, and he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all of Israel. And some commentators believe that this list of regions suggests that Ishbosheth's control over these areas was more complete than his control of Israel as a whole. And so, in other words, he had more influence in the region of Gilead. And then as you go down the list, his influence lessens and lessens and lessens until you get to all of Israel, which it's even less. 
But at the front of this list is the region Gilead, wherein is found, shocker of all shocks, the city of Jabesh Gilead and the city of Mahanaim, Abner's base of operations. David is not an idiot. He's doing this on purpose. David actively begins to chip away at Abner and Ishbosheth's influence by sending a message to the city, to Jabesh Gilead, located right in their backyard. But he does so in order to take up the throne peacefully. He's not threatening. There's no indication that David is looking for an all-out battle. There's no indication that he desires to lay siege to Mahanaim or any town that's loyal to Saul's household. He wants peace. And he's reminding them, almost in essence, saying, I want peace. I am the Lord's anointed. Make sure you're on the right side. Because it's not going to turn out well for you if you're not on the Lord's anointed side. Now, that's a veiled threat, yes, but it's a veiled threat in the power of God, not in the power of David. Peace doesn't seem to be on the minds of Abner and Ishbosheth, though. Or perhaps maybe I should just say simply Abner, because over the coming chapters, we're going to see that Abner is actually the one, he makes Ishbosheth king. Abner marches out with his army to oppose David. Abner kills one of David's mighty men. And again, Abner is well aware that the Lord has anointed David as the true next king of Israel. And yet he actively seeks to take up Saul's mantle against David and do whatever it takes to tear David down. And Abner's actions, where David wants peace, Abner brings civil war. And he will pay for it with his life and the life of many men in Israel. Because a civil war lasts years. First and Second Samuel are a historical narrative which tells of how the Lord brought about the kings of Israel over 3,000 years ago. This is a 3,000-year-old book. And these books, in fact, all these books in the Bible are to be read and understood with their original context, time, and culture in mind. We talked about this last week, about the relationship between David and and Jonathan and what it actually was versus what our society would like to make it out to be. So we have to keep the original context and time and culture in mind, but ultimately every book of this Bible has a greater purpose. It bears witness to the triumph of the seed of Eve the king of kings, the true anointed one of the Lord. See, in John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says this to those who are questioning his authority. So don't just take my word for this. This is actually what the Bible says itself. You search the scriptures, Jesus says, because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. So in other words, he's saying, you're right. You're looking in the Old Testament trying to find eternal life. But guess what? This Old Testament points to the eternal life, me. And it bears witness about me. So Scripture, these prophets, the law, all of it points to Jesus Christ. 
And guess what's included in that? 2 Samuel chapter 2. It's, it's part of Scripture. This points to Christ. In addition, all Scripture is breathed out by God, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And all Scripture bears witness about and testifies to Christ. And in the case of First and Second Samuel, David is what we call a type of Christ. Now, that's not a fancy, fancy word. It's just David is like a Christ. He points to the true anointed king of the Lord. He's a, he's a mirror image, uh, though veiled and though all blurry, if you want to use those kind of uh, poetic terms. He's just a, a type of Christ. He's not perfect. He's not sinless. His death at the end is not enough to save the people of God. He's a type who points to the anointed king, the true anointed king who rules over his people. And so like David, Jesus sought out and fulfilled the will of the Father. So if David's life and all scripture points to who Christ is, well then what does, what does the Bible say about Christ? Like David, he desired to fulfill the will of the Father. In the same passage where Christ responds to those who are questioning his authority, he says this, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Why? Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. It's John chapter 5, verse 30. And like David's blessing to those who love the Lord's anointed, God blesses those who love Christ. A blessing which culminates in glorified eternal life. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 28 through 30, he says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. That is, if you believe in Christ, if you are called by God, if you are a child of God, then all things work for good. For His good, not our good. But if you're a child of God, you want it to be about His good, and so it is for your good to be about His good. Does that make sense? No? Did somebody say no? Yes. Hopefully it does. If not, then come and talk to me afterwards. In other words, His good is our good because He blesses those who love the Lord. Verse continuing on. So for those, for those, what is that blessing? For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so what is the blessing that God bestows upon those who love him? Glorified eternal life in his presence forever. And like David, Jesus took the throne peacefully, though it was at great cost to himself. When asked by Pilate if he was the king of the Jews, Christ answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. If he was like a normal king in this world, his men, his followers would have raised up arms and then fought against the Romans who were ruling over God's people. And he says, no, no, I'm going to take the throne, but I'm not going to take it by force of arms. And whereas David was slowly working his way through and doing political and even militarily, and eventually, of course, there's war, um, 
between God's people in this civil war. Christ fights the war for us. He fights spiritually in order to save God's people. And so he takes the throne peacefully, though at great cost to himself and by great battle of his own spiritually. You see, God made and highly exalted Jesus as Lord and Christ. That's in Acts chapter 2 and Philippians chapter 2. And God has made Jesus the anointed and conquering king, Revelation chapter 19. See, the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is the Lord's anointed king. And Christ is a better David. He's a better king. He is the Messiah, the Savior of all whose hearts are changed to put their faith and trust in him. And so, to summarize the question of David that he made to the city of Jabesh-Gilead, because this is what he asked them, whom do you serve? Do you serve the king whom God has anointed and appointed, or do you serve the king who Abner has appointed? That's what David asks. And so to ask ourselves, whom do we serve? God has proclaimed to all of us this morning that Jesus is his anointed king. I am not the anointed king. You are not the anointed king. The government is not the anointed king. All of creation is not the anointed king. Material possessions are not the anointed king. And we can go on and on and on and on and on. Nothing is the anointed king. And no one is the anointed king except Jesus. He is the anointed king because God has anointed him the king. And he blesses with eternal life those who bow their knees in submission to and service to him. Whom do you serve? Do you serve the things of this world? Do you serve your own desires? Do you serve your own comfort? Do you serve peace? Do you serve even joy? Do you serve family? Do you serve money? Whom do you serve? And if you find that it is in Christ that you're serving, and, and this is my hope, I want, I want to say this again, I want you to hear me. Listen to me now. If, if you've been totally, totally say, well, now's my time to ignore Mark, take a nap. I hope you were blessed by that. Okay, now wake up. And I want you to hear these words. Whom do you serve? If you do not serve the anointed king, Jesus Christ, you do not receive eternal life. Hear me, because if you walk out of this room and you say it's pish posh, to use an English phrase, you're putting yourself in danger because now you have no excuse. If you do not serve the anointed king, you do not have life. And if you don't have life, you have death. You have eternal death, eternal death in hell. And so you're like, what am I supposed to do? 
The Bible says, repent. Repent of your rebellion against the anointed king and submit to his rule and reign over your life and he will, with grace and mercy, forgive you. If you hear these words and you want to repent and you want to turn away and, and, and serve the anointed king, God has already been working on your heart. He brought you here for a reason. He brought you here this morning. You may think you just came to you know, maybe do the right thing or even spend time with God's people or whatever it may be. God is the one who brought you here to hear this message right now. Serve the anointed king. Repent of your sins. He's been working on you. Then follow his lead. And he will welcome you into his kingdom. He will save you. He will bless you. And he will give you eternal life. If you find that Christ is your king, Amen. <laughs> you hear this message and you're like, yeah, praise God, right? Praise God that these things of these world that never fulfill, they are not my king. They distract me. Sometimes I even fall prey to their lead and, and they say I'm the anointed. They're lies. I am the anointed king. Follow me. Do what I want. I'm talking about sin. The things of this world, material possessions, desires of the flesh, the desires of the heart, they can mislead God's people. And so I'm here to tell you, if you are a child of God, even if you're struggling with sin, even if you're constantly battling every day and some days you win and some days you lose, here's what I'm here to tell you, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope in this world. Continue to put your faith and trust in him as your king because he's never going to fail you. David failed. I mean, we'll get there. If you don't know his story, continue reading through. Saying You can do that, right? You know that, right? You can read ahead before Sunday. Read through 2 Samuel. Look at the mistakes David makes. And he makes some big doozy ones, really big ones. Man, like I've never done that. And yet he's the Lord's anointed. And he's the one who's a man after God's own heart. And he's the one that we are to, in a sense, uh, emulate and, and live out a life of faithfulness. Why? Because when his sin was revealed, he repented. He never lost hope, never lost sight that he was the Lord's anointed because the Lord made him the anointed. And we never lose hope that Christ is our anointed because God's the one who made him the anointed king the rightful, true, anointed king. So don't lose hope because God's not going to abandon you. He's always going to accomplish what he promises because when he promises, he fulfills because he's a faithful God. So what does this mean? If you are a child of God, if you, if you worship, if you bow down to the anointed king, you have already received his blessing of eternal life. Now, we won't like fully receive it. We're not going to live forever, okay? Don't hear that. We're not immortal beings. No, we're going to die, but we're going to go to heaven to be in the presence of God. Do you know what makes a heaven awesome? It's not my family that I'm going to see. 
It's not the fact that I'm not going to have any sickness. It's not the fact that I can eat a cake and I'm not going to gain any weight. None of that. You want to make heaven awesome? My anointed king is there and I get to stand in his presence. Oh, man. That's eternal life. And he's already promised it. And so we already have it. He's not going to take that away from us. And so we worship him and we glorify him even more because of him and not because of us. We do it for his glory. And when we worship him, we receive joy unending. Because what better than to be in the presence of our anointed king? Whom do you serve? Whom do you serve? Father, I pray that this, this, <laughs> these, these verses, which seem so simple on the service, God, that, that you would use them to dig deep into our hearts as your people, to remind us who we are in you, that God, that you would that you would strike at the hardness of the heart of those who hear this and are not believers, perhaps even people who think that they're believers, but in reality they despise you, that they are not bowing down to you, they're bowing down to themselves. I pray, Father, you would convict them of that. Father, you would soften their hearts, that they would hear the truth of your word, your gospel, the salvation found only through your son, the anointed king, whom you placed on the throne. We did not put him there, God. You put him there. May you convict them and may they repent and believe. And like the rest of us as your children, that at the end of time, Father, we would be glorified into eternal life and having joy unending. Help us to ask this question, Father, whom do we serve? Whom do I serve? And if it's you, strengthen us. If it's not, convict and save, Father. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Why don't you stand as we sing our final song?